podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Thursday. It is the 17th of August, which means there are roughly two weeks left, or actually two weeks left, in the transfer market. And deals are starting to happen in some cases and fall apart in others. And we'll talk about them later on when we get into the news and gossip. It is Thursday, though. That means it's questions day. Uh, I think we have about five questions to get through today, uh, one of which I've spent the better part of an hour working on, uh, this might have been the toughest question that I've been asked because it's non-football related and I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Um, so, yeah, these questions have come in on the Anfield Index Discord. If you are an Anfield Index Pro subscriber, do remember to join the Discord. So, this one is from Brian Javi. Next summer... If we managed to get rid of Joe and Joel and had the chance to sign Delict for, let's say, 40 to 50 million, would you take a punt at it? No. I, no, I wouldn't actually even consider it, to be totally honest. I think Matthias Delict should have been the best defender of his generation. And I don't actually think he's going to crack the top five. For whatever reason, he has not developed all that well at all the fundamentals in his defensive play are strong but he seems to have lost quite a bit of mobility over the years both at Juve and since joining Bayern Munich and 
I do think you could put him in a back three, in the middle of a back three, with wing-backs, where it's a traditional tight back three. And I do think you could have great success with him as long as you put pacey, mobile, aggressive players either side and let him call that defensive line and do what do what he does best, which is organise. But I wouldn't go for Matthias De Ligt. Um And it's a shame because four years ago, I'd have jumped at the chance to sign Matthias De Ligt, but it just hasn't really worked for him. Um, where I would be more likely to go is to Portugal. And the first player on my list would be Antonio Silva, who I think is going to be an absolute star. I think he's an incredibly talented defender with huge, huge upside. Um, The next name on my list, and one that I think Liverpool should be pursuing as a matter of priority, is Usman Diamande of Sporting. 6-3, quick, aggressive, good on the ball, was at Mittelian for two, three years, joined Sporting um, in January, and I've been hugely impressed by everything I've seen from him. So he's the one I would be making a priority. Uh, others on my short list would be uh, Giorgio Scalvini of Atalanta. Now, I think Diamande and Scalvini, from a size perspective, might suit the Klopp model, both of them being six three, six four. Silva top set at 6-2, but I would make an exception for him because I think he's the one that you could look to as your Van Dyke successor in the middle of a back three. But Scalvini could could succeed in that role. Diamande is monstrous and could succeed in the right side centre-back role if you wanted to move Canate into the middle role. And then you've got to sort the left-sided role. And, and the one I really want for that role and he's not ready to play yet, but he's one that I would be bringing in to develop is Alan Maturo, the Uruguayan at Genoa. And I think you could get him, Diamande, and Scalvini for probably somewhere in the region of... If you get him now, you'd probably get him for less than $20 million. I think next summer you get Diamande and Scalvini for around 100 million combined. And you'd still have Van Dyke, you'd still have Kanate, and I think your defense would be completely loaded then. That would be on the basis of Klopp sticking with the three box three. And your next question is um, oh, sorry, you, you actually say also depends if Klopp sticks to the three box three or goes back to the traditional four three three. I don't think Delict fits in either because. I don't really like him in a back four with the lack of mobility, especially if you're going to play attacking fullbacks. It's not even the lack of mobility. It's the lack of ability to, to, to turn and sprint. That's what worries me. Um, in the three box three, your centre-backs are really split. And there's big spaces either side. And that's where I would have concern. So uh, Diamande, Scalvini, Silva... There's a few others I like. I really like Kasunu at um at Bayer Bayer Leverkusen, but he's got more developing to do. Um tell you one thing. The Ivory Coast could have an unbelievable back three with Diamande. If I'm not mistaken, Kasunu is also Ivorian. He is indeed. And, of course, Mark Wehi is Ivorian, but decided to play for England um, in what I believe to be a mistake because Gareth Southgate will only ever play the old dross. But having those two, and you know who the third one can be, is Abakar Silla of Strasbourg. Like, if, if at any point the Ivorians get that back three together... I think that has the potential to be monstrous at the international level. And if somebody can put it together at club level, um, you could really develop them into something special as a back three. Now, Silla could also be your left back in a back four, 
and you could use Wilfred Singo as the right back. So if I was an Ivorian, I'd be really excited about the future of my national team defence. Goalkeeper, I'm not overly convinced by, but there's some very talented midfielders, a couple of really talented attackers in uh, the likes of Simon Adingra and Kareem Kanate. So, yeah, I think the Ivorians have a, a lot of reason to be very, very confident. Evan and Dick is another option for them. He's now declared to play for the Ivory Coast. Sonali Diamande at um, Leon is another. So that defence could be incredible. You've got Jeremy Boga, Hamid Traore, Ahmed Diallo, Seiko Fafana, obviously. Wilf Zaha, Nicholas Pepe, Sebastian Haller, Datro Fafana. Datro Fafana up front. Diallo off one wing. Hamid Traore as the 10. Adingra off the other wing. That's that's a really exciting front one and three behind. You've got potentially a great back four to build. And in midfield, you've got Frank Kessie and Ibrahim Sanger. They're not spectacular, but they're really solid and hardworking. You get a goalkeeper who's decent, and that that's a team that could win multiple AFCONs and be a real force at a World Cup. Um, I know the question wasn't about the Ivory Coast, but, you know, you know how I am. Um, Matt JT, if we consider the remainder of this transfer window a sliding doors moment for Liverpool, what is the ceiling if they get the moves right and what is the floor if they get it wrong? How will these decisions impact the overall progress of the club through the next few seasons? If they if they nail the remaining two weeks of this window, and by that I mean if they get in a high-quality defensive midfielder, it looks like they've got a, a squad player coming in. If they get Andre sorted for January, and if they could sort out a left-side centre-back, say Arthur Tiete, just as a short-term, not a short-term because he's young and he's quality, just as a... As an immediate starter, like Maturo's the one I would want, but he's not ready to walk in and start. Tiete comes in and starts, can start straight away and removes Andy Robertson, who's become a liability. With De Bruyne out and no other outstanding team in the league, a title challenge is the ceiling. I don't think a title win, but a title challenge is the ceiling. The floor, if they get it wrong, is sixth or seventh. Because when you consider you've got City, you've got Arsenal, you've got Newcastle, and you've got United, you've got Chelsea, who, are, who will be improved this year under Poch. I think Spurs, despite losing Kane, will improve this season from last season. I wouldn't rule out Brighton potentially taking another small step forward, although I think it's unlikely with Europe to deal with as well. So I think you're probably looking at battling for seventh with probably Spurs. Because you've got the big six plus Newcastle. No, so yeah, so you'd be battling for sixth with Spurs and probably ending up seventh. Because if you've got a defence that just can't stop conceding goals and your tactical approach is questionable at best and your possession-based football is certainly not as good as Spurs will be, certainly not as good as City or Arsenal will be and questionable whether it's as good as Chelsea, you're going to have problems. You are going to have problems. Yes, Liverpool should score a lot of goals. And yes, the talent is in that squad to be really good in possession. They just don't look well coached at the moment. So I think the floor is probably seventh. Uh, what will be the ramifications? Jurgen Klopp would be sacked. And Liverpool would be looking for a new coach. They would also then have the opportunity to reset the structure of the club, bringing in a high-caliber defence uh, director of football, potentially returning... Michael Edwards to the throne and allowing him to build out the rest of the structure, maybe bringing Ian Graham back into the club. 
and then appointing a coach of his choice. And if you offered me that, if we don't nail this window, then on September 1st, that would become my preferred option to another season of slog and shit. So, yeah, the ramifications are that Klopp will be sacked if he doesn't get this right and we end up in fifth, sixth or seventh. That's just how it is. This is probably the last season for Liverpool of Mo Salah as well, regardless. So it would be nice if he could go out in a high. They'll lose Thiago next summer too. Uh, So you've got those two you'll need to replace on top of the defence that needs rebuilding. It really is. Um, It's an uphill battle because of really bad decisions made by a manager who seized power and doesn't know what to do with it and doesn't know what's required, uh, unfortunately. Um, LFC Station. I have met so many questions, but we'll ask two if that's okay. If Edwards had total control of buying and selling players without any interference from Klopp, how much do you think he would have gotten for certain players such as Ginny, Naby, Emery, etc.? And who would he have bought to replace them? Um, so Ginny would have gone a year earlier. I think you probably get 25 to 30 million for him. They turned down 20 million for Emery the year before he left. They wanted 40. They probably would have taken 30 only Klopp put the kibosh on it. Uh, so you probably would have got 30 for him. Uh, remember, the market has shifted drastically since Emery left. So now it might be 50, but back then it would have been maybe 30. Naby, they could have got 20 million for last summer without question. They could have got 10 for Ox. Um, Henderson should have been sold in 2020 after the title win. And they probably get 20 to 25 million from at that point. Um, Milner had no, no value at any point in the last five years. Uh, Firmino, you probably get 20 to 25, though I, I would say it was probably the right decision to keep him and just get that last season out of him. Who would they have bought? Well, it's obvious who he would have bought because the names are out there. The midfield rebuild that he wanted included Enzo Fernandez coming from River Plate for 15 million in add ons. Um, he wanted Bruno Gamerish from Leon. Um, he wanted Chuameni before he went to Monaco. Klopp said no and then fell in love with him when he saw Monaco. He wanted Ducure last summer. That, now, he was, he was out the door, but he was still advising and he wanted Ducure. Uh, I believe Julian Ward was also very, very keen on the player. I, I, Look, if if Michael Edwards had had total control, Liverpool would be probably sitting on a couple of titles and a couple of Champions Leagues and with a very different looking squad. Um, Do you think FSG will try to rectify the problems we've been facing in regards to Edwards and Ward leaving and implement a director of football with full control of transfers or will they try to continue as it is until they sell the club? I wouldn't be expecting a full sale anytime soon, frankly. I think they were open to it. They're probably still open to it. But the asking price is very, very high. And there are not a lot of people out there with that kind of money to throw around. So I wouldn't expect a full sale. I think they will outlast Klopp unless they decide to sell and turn their attention to buying an NBA franchise be that one of the expansion teams or potentially there's a a franchise that comes up available to them. John Henry has always wanted to own an uh, an NBA franchise. He was one of the early bidders for the Orlando Magic franchise back in the late 80s. So he's always wanted to be involved in the NBA. And with the money flowing into that league now, it's unlikely that he's changed his mind. Um, I th- I think they will try to rectify the problems. I think there's going to be a summit in September during the international break, and I think Jurgen is going to be told that things are changing, whether you like it or not. And I think he'll have to fall in line. If I could advise them, I have ideas. Whether they would be open to them or not, I don't know. But my advice to them would be to pursue the multi-club ownership model to purchase two teams, one in in uh, in Europe, 
in Portugal or France and one in South America, in Brazil or in Argentina. And I would use them as vehicles to find the very best players on those continents. I would centralise the recruitment for all three clubs away from Liverpool, make it specific owner-operated to FSG, with Michael Edwards heading it up, along with Ian Graham, and they can staff it as they see fit, and I would have them running recruitment for the entire operation, with the sole goal being, because I'm biased from Liverpool's point of view, finding the best possible players for Liverpool and using the other clubs as development vehicles and vehicles to work around any issues you might have in terms of work permits or whatever. You could use a club in Portugal or France to target the very best young players in Europe, bring them there, develop them for a year or two, move them on to Liverpool. In the terms of a South American club, you do the same thing. You bring them in, develop them. Perhaps you have to move them to Portugal or France for a year, and then you move them on to Liverpool. Those that are good enough, you move them on to Liverpool. Those who are not good enough Liverpool but are good enough for those clubs, you keep them there. And then those who maybe outgrow those clubs but aren't good enough Liverpool, you sell them on, you reinvest the profits. I would centralise the recruitment in a company similar to what Tony Bloom has with Star Lizard. I would also look to invest much more in Liverpool's academy and like Liverpool have fallen way behind in terms of the academy. It just doesn't produce nearly enough talent. And the players it is producing now, they're players that were largely bought in, uh, not players that were, you know, discovered at 12, 13, 14. Liverpool are not doing enough of uh, enough work in that regard. And I, I read an interview with Alex Ingletorp, which I thought was the most small-time attitude I'd ever heard towards the academy about wanting smaller numbers. Your academy should be a talent factory. The best academies in Europe are talent factories. And they produce players not only for the first team, but to sell so that you can make your club self-sustaining. Look at the amount of money Man City are making just from selling academy players. Look at Chelsea currently in the process of selling Lewis Hall. They already sold Mason Mount this summer. They might well sell Ian Matson and a couple of others, Conor Gallagher perhaps. They've sold Tammy Abraham, Mark Wehi, Fikayo Tamori. You know, huge talents made significant money off them. That enables you to reinvest that money into your first team and into the operations of your club. And Liverpool don't do that. They don't do it at all. Edwards had a couple of hits. With, you know, Solanke, they bought cheap, they sold him big, but they bought him. Rian Brewster, they signed at 15. That's fine. They made really good money on him, but Liverpool need to be doing a lot more of that. Now, they're, they're trying to get one or two in per window. That's not enough. That's not enough at all. Liverpool need to be expanding that, that academy. And if Klopp doesn't like it again, tough, tough. Who, who's allowing Jurgen Klopp to control what the academy does? Jurgen Klopp should be in charge of the first team and the first team only. Training, picking the team, deciding tactics. That's Jurgen Klopp's role. <clears throat> Nothing beyond that for me. Um, Isaac Gilding, question for the pod. Can you build a team of players you would have liked to have played with if you'd been a footballer? Can you also build a team of players that you, Dave Hendrick, the non-football player, would have the best chance of succeeding with, however you define that. Okay, so players I would have liked to have played with and then players that basically could have carried me. You think that's the that's the be-all and end-all that we're getting here. So the, the, the carry team is going to have to be pretty special. Um, right. I'm, I'm going to try and avoid the guys I view as the best players so, like, no Maradonas, things like that. And I'll just pick players that I think would, would have been fun to play with. So, goalkeeper, Gianluca Pagliuca. Just always thought he'd be 
be entertaining to be around. He's a bit nuts. Great goalkeeper, but we'll go with him. Uh, right back. We're going to play... We're going to play a back three with a sweeper. So we're looking for attacking wingbacks. Um... We'll go, we'll go Roberto Carlos on the left. I just think he'd be so much fun to play, be in the same team as. On the right, I'm tempted to go, tempted to go Cafu. But then I think I might just go Zanetti, even though I do think Zanetti's the best right back in the world. Just having that added playmaker out there, I, I think I'll go with, I could go with Trent either. You know what? I'll go with Trent. I'll go with Trent. Um, Centre-backs, I'm going to go... I'll go Aldair, great Brazilian centre-back, best known for his time at Roma, and Paul McGrath. Now, there's no left-footer there, so it's not the ideal balance, but... They're the two I would want. I think. Yeah, I'll I'll go with them. I'll go with them. Um, Mateus Zammer is the sweeper in this because he was just a joy in that position. Um, Defensive midfielder, I'll go Dieter Elts. Legend. And I'll play in midfield next to him. Then ahead of us in the number 10 position, we'll go with Zidane. You just give him the ball and let him do his thing. And then up front... Do you know what? I'm I'm sorry, Dieter Elts. I'm actually going to leave you out. I'm going to go Frank Reichard in that position. I'll go Frank Reichard in that position. And I'm going to put myself at right back instead. I'm going to go Reichard and Mateus in midfield. I think they'd have been fun. They just did everything. So I'll go, I'll play right wing back and just run up and down. Um, Everything will be built down the left. I'll just be there for recycling purposes. Yeah, I'll just go Rijkaard and, and Mateus. We'll put Zidane as the 10. Or 9 is going to be up front because he's the most enjoyable striker I've ever seen. And next to him... Roberto Baggio. Do I leave Zidane out and go with Michael Loudrup? I do. I don't. I leave. I leave Zidane out and I go with Michael Loudrup because it's my team and it's to be fun. So I'll go Loudrup behind or nine and Baggio. That's my front three. Mateus and Rijkaard. That's my midfield two. I want Rijkaard on the right side though. Mateus on the left because otherwise Mateus will just spend the whole game moaning at me. Uh, Carlos on the left. I'll play right wing back. Uh, we'll go. Do we go Aldair? Do we go Virgil? Do you know what? We'll just go Virgil. We'll go Virgil and McGrath as the centre backs. Zamora as the sweeper. And Paluka in goal. Uh, as far as a team that could, you know, basically carry me, uh, which is, you know, what would actually be needed. Uh, I think we'll go with a 4-4-2 on this one. So, I'm going to pick the two same centre-backs, and I'm going to play right back again. I'm going to pick the two same centre-backs, Virgil and McGrath. And I assume I'm getting all of these at their peak, so that's, that's outrageous. Um, I want the best keeper possible, so it's Buffon. Left back, I'll go Dennis Irwin. I know Maldini's the best left back ever, but I'm going to go Dennis Irwin because what I want is I want 
nice people who will, you know, talk to me and, and not shout at me. So Virgil can shout, but that's fine. But McGrath and Irwin, just good Irish lads, they'll they'll talk me through. Uh, we'll go with Psychotic in midfield, though. We'll go Roy Keane, because I know I'll get the work rate from him. He'll, he'll help back and, and give me a dig out. Next to him, we'll keep Lothar Mateus. Again, I just... Good at everything, so we're going to keep him in. Left side of midfield, I'll go... Right side of midfield in front of me, I want exceptional work rate and output. So I'm going to move Pavel Nedved from his more normal right-sided role, sorry, more normal left-sided role to the right. So Nedved in front of me. So I'm not crossing the halfway line. Um, So out on the left, we're looking for explosiveness. We're looking for goals. And we're going to go Kaka. Nominally a 10, but I think because we'd be moving into a box midfield, of course. I'm going to play a flat 4-4-2. You go Kaka and Nedved can push in. Perfect. Um, Up front... We're going to need to score some goals because I'm giving away at least two a game. So again, I'm going to go with or nine and then it's got to be messy, doesn't it? So or nine and messy. I'm scoring five a game. That's two for Messi, two for or nine and Kaka will get me one a game because just explosiveness. Nedved, Keane, with the Keane and Mateus, they kill each other. It'd be great crack. That's the team. That's the team. Last question then, and this one has taken me ages, and I, I'm unfortunately I'm not actually able to answer it properly. Your top five debut albums. So I have spent literally 45 to 50 minutes trying to get this down to five. Now I've got a couple that are non-negotiable, non-negotiable on this. Actually, I've got I've got three that have to be in. Three that have to be in, and then I've got four others that I'm really, really struggling with. And I have quite an eclectic music taste, so I'll listen to pretty much anything. I'll listen to rock, metal, R and B, hip hop, country experimental stuff like the Gotham Project. I listen to lots of stuff, Southern Rock, whatever. Uh, the only thing I'm not a huge fan of is like dance music. Um, there's a couple of songs I like from over the years, but I, it, I, I, would, I would never actually sit and listen to it. But anyway, so the ones that for me are non-negotiable are 10 by Pearl Jam, which is, is number one on my list. I think it's the best debut album of all time. Uh, number two is Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. And again, I think it's right there with, with the Pearl Jam album. So those two have to be in, as does Paid in Full by Eric B. and Rakim. I listen to that album start to finish at least once a week. It is a masterpiece. So I've got those three, and they're in. And then I have four others that I'm not really sure how I work this down to two. So the first one is Led Zeppelin 1, which is a masterpiece. It's a phenomenal album. So it's got to get really, really strong consideration. The second one is Rage Against the Machine's self-titled debut album. The third one is Ready to Die by the Notorious B.I.G. And I've just double-checked, and I actually, my fourth one isn't actually the debut album. So the Slim Shady LP is what I would have always considered Eminem's debut album. But of course... uh, Infinite came out three years before. Now, I don't know anybody that ever had heard it before the Slim Shady album came out, but that's fine. 
will remove the Slim Shady album. And that gets me to six. So I've got Zeppelin one, Rage Against the Machine self-titled, and Ready to Die. And I need to pick two of them. I suppose if I go with what I would listen to more often, do you know there's another album that I just, oh, I didn't even think of this one. Audio Slaves' debut album is phenomenal. Now, the the second and third albums could have been one good album between them. The first album is brilliant. I go Rage. I can't have both Rage and Audio Slave. Could have, but not going to. Definitely Maybe is another one. I, I had that written down too, and I marked it out. It was like a last-minute cut. But Definitely Maybe is an incredible album as well. Um, Definitely 10, definitely Appetite, definitely Paid in Full. Do you know what? I'm going to go Ready to Die and Audio Slave uh, with with a very, very big doff of the cap to Rage Against the Machine's debut album and to Led Zeppelin's debut album. Um, I will say I think both of those bands released better albums. I don't think any of the others did. The 10 for me is still Pearl Jam's best album. The same with Appetite. Same with Paid in Full. And I think Ready to Die is still Biggie's best album. So, um, yeah, I'll go with Audio Slave. So, Pearl Jam, 10, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses, Paid in Full by Eric B. and Rakeem, Ready to Die by Notorious B.I.G., and Audio Slave's debut album. So, there you go. There's my five. I'm going to take a break and let my brain heal from that. And when we come back, it will be some news and some gossip. So we'll see you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So last night in the European Super Cup, Manchester City defeated Sevilla 5-4 on penalties. Yusuf N. Naziri had put Sevilla 1 up on 25 minutes. Cole Palmer equalized on 63. Uh, City went with a pretty strong team. Uh, Josco Gvardiol making his first start. Interesting front three with Cole Palmer on the right. Phil Foden behind him in midfield. It was an interesting little wrinkle having two of them down that side. Rodri and Kovacic making up the rest of the midfield. Obviously, Erling Haaland and, and Jack Grealish, the rest of the front three. Um, I thought Cole Palmer was excellent in the game. In penalties, or in the penalties, um... Haaland scored, Ocampo scored, Alvarez scored, Rafamir scored, Kovacic scored, Rakitic scored, Grealish scored, Montiel scored, Walker scored, and Gudilch missed. And um, City were crowned European Super Cup winners. Interesting note, Bono, the goalkeeper who played for Sevilla, is today finalising a move to go to Saudi Arabia. So curious as to why Sevilla bothered to play him last night if this move was already in the works, which it seems to have been. America Port was on the bench for City and they've accepted an offer for him though. So I suppose you do what you must. Um, yeah, Cole Palmer. Interesting comment by Pep after the game where he said, Cole Palmer will either stay and play a big role or he could be sold, which I thought was weird. Um, I would have thought Cole Palmer would be pretty close to untouchable at City, maybe alone, but I wouldn't have thought you'd even consider moving him on. And yet it does appear like Manchester City are, are open to the departure of Cole Palmer. Now, someone, some smart club will get him. Now, City will include buybacks and all the rest. But some smart club will pick him up and get two really good years out of him and then make a profit if City 
buy him back or sell him on further for for big money. Uh, who that club will be, I have no idea. I would imagine West Ham might well ask for him in the Lucas Paqueta deal. I would certainly ask for him. I would ask for him and I would ask for Taylor Howard Bellis as part of the Lucas Paqueta deal. It does appear like Paqueta wants to move now and it's a huge shame for City, but I would ask for those two. If City are open to selling Palmer, I'd ask for him. And I'd want Howard Bellis as well because he's a really good young centre-back and Kurt Zuma has injury issues. So get him. Um, and, and then get a big bowl of cash as well and go and buy a starting midfielder or preferably two starting fullbacks. Um, speaking of young players, uh, Lewis Hull leaving Chelsea to go to Newcastle. I think this is utter stupidity by Chelsea. <clears throat> but seemingly 28 million rising to 35 is money they can't turn down. I wonder why that is. Maybe you shouldn't have signed 900 million worth of players in the last. 14 months and you wouldn't have to sell your best academy players a fella who could easily be your starting left back this season easily like Chelsea have made so many mistakes in the last three years it doesn't even bear considering they've ended up with a super talented group of players but now they're having to sell off the homegrown youngsters that could have saved them a fortune, all because Todd Bowley's ego and complete lack of awareness of you know how football works just doesn't allow him to consider these players. A great get for Newcastle, though. Chelsea thought they were selling Lewis Hall to buy Michael Elise, but in shock news today, Michael Elise has said no to Chelsea and signed a new four-year contract with Crystal Palace. The contract is believed to pay him 100 grand a week. The contract is believed to have a raised buyout clause, which I'm guessing will be somewhere in the 40, no, I'd say more probably like 50 to 60 million pound range on a buyout. I was thinking 45 million, but maybe 50 to 60 million. It's up from the 35 it was previously. I would still bet this is his last season at the club. I think he'll move on next summer and uh, all the top clubs will be in for him. But great for Palace to get him to sign that new deal and commit his future. And very, very smart by the player to turn down more money at Chelsea, knowing you're going there, A, it's a zoo, B, the owner turns the place into a circus at least once a month, and C, they've already bought two young players to play your position. Now, you're better than them, but if you have a bit of an injury and one of them gets in and plays well, you might not get back in. So, yeah, I think it's smart for Lise. Um, on the topic of another young player, after announcements, or the hint of an announcement, I should say, an internal memo was sent at Manchester United advising that Mason Greenwood was going to be reintegrated back into the first team. This was leaked to The Athletic, who reported on it. An announcement was expected on Monday about this, but it has now been delayed after ferocious backlash online from people who believe that Mason Greenwood does not deserve to play for Manchester United again. And United now say no decision has been made. But we know that to be a lie. We know that to be a lie. United were going to bring him back. The story was originally dumped that they were going to bring him back at like 2.30 in the morning by someone from the Daily Mail. And then the Athletic dug into it. I can't imagine there are any members of the women's team or the female United fan base. And I would hope the majority of the male United fan base who want him back in the team. I cannot imagine there are. And I'll tell you this right now. If Mason Greenwood was just a bang average grafter, this wouldn't be a conversation. He would have been let go. But because he's an immensely talented young man and United think there's real value in him, they want to bring him back, rehabilitate him, even if it means 
sending him out on loan to rebuild his value and they want to sell him because they don't want to lose the asset. So United are putting the asset from, from a footballing perspective over the actions from a human perspective, which to me is disgusting. But this is the club that paraded Ryan Giggs around in a director's box while he was on trial for assault and manipulative manipulative behaviour towards and controlling behaviour towards his ex. This is the club that protected Cristiano when he was there the first time. And the two allegations about what he did in London came about and United hushed them. You can look them up yourself. And then they brought him back knowing what he'd done in America and just pretended it was all fine. So wouldn't expect much of a moral compass from that club. Moving on, uh, Tim Krul has signed for Luton Town from Norwich City. And Norwich have signed George Long on a free from, from Millwall to be the backup to Angus Gunn. I think Krull's a good signing for Luton. Uh, Jurian Timber has suffered a torn ACL, will have surgery and is likely to miss the majority of this season, which is a huge shame for Jurian Timber, who's a, a tremendous young player. There's been a raft of ACL injuries recently, and it's it's a concern. It really is a concern. We've seen Tyron Mings, Emi Buendia, Thibaut Courtois, Ed, um, um, Edder Militao, someone else. There's a couple of others have just done knee injuries. And Kunku, I think Gabriel Jesus is a knee injury. That's It's a bit of a concerning trend. Uh, I don't know what the injury to Nkunku has been. It could be an ACL as well, for all we know. Oh, um, Wesley Fafana is the other one. Like, it is it is brutal. Absolutely brutal how many of these injuries are taking place at the moment. Um, now, Rafa Varane says the longer amounts of injury time are the reason for this. That's nonsense, because none of these players have gotten hurt. Uh, the, all of these players got hurt either in pre-season or in training or in the opening minutes of a game. Timber seemed to play on after he got hurt for quite a while, to be honest. Um, so the added injury time is, is not a factor. This is not an accumulation of minutes. This is injuries that are happening for other reasons. Um, on Arsenal, Mikel Arteta says Arsenal have no number ones in any position. After the signing of David Freya, he's, he's an absolute spoofer, this fella. Um, Newcastle, St. James's Park to host not one, but two Saudi Arabian national team friendlies in September. Uh, the Green Falcons, as they're known, will take on Costa Rica and South Korea on the 8th and 12th of September, respectively. Yeah. Yeah. But like, they're not controlled at all by the country. It's definitely a completely separate entity that, 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 that owns them. 100% it is, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Liverpool are in talks to sign Waturu Endo, Waturu Endo, who uh, is Japanese captain, Stuttgart captain, 50 caps for Japan, highly thought of defensive midfielder. He is 30 years of age. Um, I think he comes in as a, as a strong backup to the defensive midfielder there looking to sign to be their first choice. So I'm I'm in favour of the deal. Uh, we'll end on the gossip. Liverpool have stepped up their efforts to sign Czech de Cure. I think that deal gets done and I think the Elise deal helps that happen. Spain goalkeeper David De Gea is keen to move to Bayern Munich. Um, Bayern haven't been turned down by Kepa. They like a goalkeeper who can play out with his feet, though, and that's not De Gea. Uh, Liverpool are expected to pay €19 million, Euro, which is £15.4 million pounds for Endo. West Ham are considering Jesse Lingard and a free that reeks of Moyes again. Uh, Neymar requested a 25-room mansion, swimming pool and sauna, eight workers to keep the house tidy, Nine cars, all expenses paid for travel, restaurants and hotels, and was given all of it. 
when he signed for the Saudi Pro League side Al-Halil. So when he's not playing, when he has a day off, he can go and stay in the best hotel because, you know, the 25-room mansion is not going to be enough. So he's going to go stay in a hotel, eat whatever he wants to eat, drink whatever he wants to drink, and then send all the bills to the uh, Saudi Pro League offices and they're going to pay them for him. Did, did you ever hear the likes of This guy doesn't care about football at all. Not one bit. Spain forward Ansu Fati has chosen to leave Barcelona with Manchester United, Arsenal and Tottenham all among the interested clubs. Now, he has said all summer he wants to stay, so we'll see what happens there. Bernardo Silva will renew his contract at Manchester City with a €50 million release clause for next summer. It's clear he wants to leave. This is kind of his way out of it, I suppose. Stay one more year and then you can definitely leave for £43 million. Al-Halil are closing in on a deal for Alexander Mitrovic. Liverpool are interested in Ryan Gravenberch. I don't believe they are. Uh, Liverpool are interested in Bubakar Kamara, but Villa manager Unai Emery wants to keep the 23-year-old. Curious to see if there's a buyout clause in his contract. There's been rumours that there is. I would prefer Dukure, but Kamara is excellent. Portugal forward Joe Felix wants to cancel his Atletico Madrid contract. That's not going to happen, son. Um, Lewis Hall West Ham are interested in Eluahi, Constantinos Mavroponos and Odalene Kasunu they are all very much Tim Steve 10 Manchester United will allow Eric Bailly to leave for free this summer with Fulham interested United can't sell anybody Tottenham are considering appointing Barcelona director of football Matteo Almeni now He's done a pretty good job at Barca, but he's not really a director of football. He's more a president than a director of football. And I, I, if I was Spurs, I'd bring him in, but I'd be bringing in, you know, recruitment specialists beneath him. Um, Bournemouth's interest in Tyler Adams seems to have waned. I wonder, there's, there's been some suggestion that his buyout clause isn't as, straightforward as has been made out. I, I don't know what the truth is. I think he'd be a great signing for Bournemouth, but if they don't get him, they better get somebody else. They need a defensive midfielder. That's it. That's all I have for today, folks. Thank you as always. I will speak to you all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.